Welcome along to this month's episode of The Punt here on The 42 with me, Gavin Cooney. Uh, we are here as we are every month in partnership with William Hill. So please always gamble responsibly. And for more information, you'll find it on gamblingtherapy.org. So we're going to look ahead to the latest installment of Dublin against Kerry later on in the show. Uh, but first of all, let's preview this week's US PGA Championship with Brian Keogh of irishgolfdesk.com. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. No problem at all, Gavin. Thank you for having me. What are the hype levels like for uh, for the second major of the year? Yeah, there's always plenty of hype for the for the PGA Championship now that it's moved to May. I think you know we all enjoyed uh, the Masters and Matsuyama getting the first win for Japan there. So yeah, lots to uh, lots to look forward to. A lot of players in 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 good form and a great golf course by the ocean. So what's not to like? Uh, all exciting. Yeah, let's talk about the golf course first of all. We're back at Kiowa Island uh, in South Carolina for the first time since 2012. What kind of challenge is it going to pose this year? Yeah, well, it's a windswept, peat dye course, uh, South Carolina, plenty of marshland around there, sea breezes, and it's extremely long. It's the longest championship, it's the longest course in major championship history. You know, uh, 7,000, uh, almost 7,800 yards. So uh, not for the faint-hearted, although... I doubt they're going to play it at 7,800 yards uh, from the tips. Uh, they're going to move the tees around uh, quite considerably, I believe. They're only about four holes, but they won't move the tees, so there'll be uh, plenty of work to be done in those practice rounds to get used to all the different team grounds and, uh, and all the different options they're going to have. And we're going to have fans, as far as I'm aware? Yeah, they're going to be fans there as well, so it should be uh, it should be pretty good for somebody like uh, Rory McIlroy who likes, uh, likes a bit of atmosphere and Enjoyed it uh, two weeks ago in Quail Hollow, uh, where he had a few people cheering him on. I think he he needs that kind of uh, that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, uh, Brian, I want to take you back uh, deep into the mists of time. Uh, it's two months ago uh, when Rory McIlroy had missed the cut at Augusta. He's in the slough of a career slump from which. We were all, well, we weren't all wondering aloud, but some were wondering aloud whether he would ever emerge from it. And uh, now he's bouncing into the US PGA Championship, but of course he's won it previously, having won a Quail Hollow two weeks ago as the pre-tournament favourite. So uh, what's changed for Rory? Yeah, well, it's, it's always been the same for Rory, though, hasn't it? Throughout his career, there have been peaks and drops uh, the whole way through. And when he gets on a run, he goes on a run for about four or five months, six months, and wins wins several times, and then and then goes off the boil. But yeah, it's 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 been uh, nineteen months, I think it was uh, eighteen months. Uh, his his most recent his most recent drought, and uh, yeah, he was just getting frustrated, just wondering where the hell he was going to uh, find a bit of form again. And um, he had to do a little bit of introspection, I think, and came up with a few ideas uh, with his team. And um, Pete Cowan was the was the man that he called. I think that was uh, the first uh, port of call for him to uh, to bring in Pete, uh, just have a look at his golf swing and uh, have some eyes on him more regularly with uh, with uh, his regular coach Michael Bannon, unable to travel to the United States because of the COVID pandemic, so so having Pete, I think, has been a uh, you know a huge boon to him uh, to be able to um, just uh, work things out on the on the driving range in Florida. And um, the other one, the other really key was uh, you know the call to Bob Rotella because you know as good as Rory's been, you know over the last uh, the last ten years, it's been almost seven years since he won a major and you know he's had quite a few problems just getting over the line even on Sundays in so many events that he's played extremely well in but just failed to to finish off yeah uh, just uh, in in the past year and a half even um that um maybe needed some fresh uh, perspective there and 
that's obviously uh, helping as well because he spoke to him shortly after the Masters and, uh, you know, almost his next start, um, you know, he goes out and he wins. So um, there's a lot uh, coming together for Rory. Yeah, uh, Bob Bertella, if you have heard that name, listener, uh, before, it's probably because he's worked with Patrick Carrington in the past. And uh, Brian, you had a really interesting piece uh, with Bob Bertella uh, in the Indo yesterday. And this, I've just pulled out this quote. He said to you, uh, when he, by Rory, uh, he gets out of his way, there's a good chance of good stuff happening. What yeah. does uh, what does Bob Bertella mean? Getting out that? of your own way. Getting out of your own way. It's the same... It's been the same thing he was telling Darren Clark for many years. He'd be getting down on himself and, and uh, you know, uh, dropping the head and uh, reacting to any poor shot he hit. Uh, you know, and something that, you know, Padre Carrington has worked on for, for 20 years, you know, and I was only just looking at my phone. I said, Bob, we're telling us, actually, I do have Bob's number. I'll give him a ring. And uh, he was, we were able to remember, reminisce about those times uh, with Padraig but uh, yeah it's it's he tells them all the same thing which is the which is the amazing thing you know that golf is not a game of perfect that you're not going to do it perfectly all the time that you just got to take one shot at a time and and all the cliches and uh, just playing with that sort of joy of, of, of kid of look hit the ball go find it uh, whatever it happens to be and just try and get it in the hole you know and then um, that's what he was trying to get back to to, to talking about with Rory that um, rather than getting worried about, you know, the swing or any probably uh, faults he might have or any mistakes he might be making just to be able to just uh, re- rely on a short game and just have faith that he was going to be able to just get this up and down and make and make his par uh, and, and move on, you know, and uh, he did that beautifully. I mean, he didn't hit the ball. Rory McIlroy-esque uh, statistics in Quail Hollow by any means. I think he was almost last for um, driving accuracy, which, you know, for Rory McIlroy is, you know, is very unusual. I mean, he's not always arrow straight, but he'll certainly be uh, there or thereabouts for the strokes gained uh, in driving or strokes gained off the tee. So, you know, to see him right down near the bottom of the field for that, hit just three fairways on the final day. Okay, he uh, he missed a few just by, by a couple of yards and still to win. It was because of the short game and the putting and the getting the ball in the hole, and just what Bob called, you know, playing golf. That's what I call playing golf, just getting the ball in the hole and forgetting about all the rest. So uh, he's obviously uh, been able to free himself up uh, in that way. And um, um, it, it worked in Quail Hollow where he's always very comfortable. So um, I'd be optimistic for Rory, you know, for the for the rest of the summer if he can yeah. pull together yeah. the rest of the game. It's almost the lesson from Rotella that I took from your piece is like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I know that's something that we hear uh, in, in a couple of walks of life at the moment. And that was probably the most encouraging part of his technical performance at Quail Hollow, the fact that that short game was was really on point. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, he's been working with Brad Faxon now for a few years, I think since he won. I think he started working with him the week before he won in uh in Bay Hill, maybe that was 2018. I think he was coming off a, a similar kind of uh, slump, uh, you know, a McElroy slump at the time as well. He hadn't won for uh, for quite a while and had the best putting stats of his career, I think, that first week. So, uh, uh, you know, it seems to be um, uh, found, he's, he's always been a good putter, but not a great putter. And I think uh, the short game is probably one of the most underrated parts of Rory McElroy's game. He's an exceptionally... Uh, a good chipper of the ball and uh, out of bunkers. I don't know if you've noticed, but every time he's in the bunker, he, he invariably seems to get it up and down, especially there uh, and two weeks ago in Quail Hollow near the end of that round where he uh, 
he had to you know make a few very good sand saves. So uh, you know Rory's short game is has always been phenomenal. Uh, his putting is as we know is very streaky, but um, now that he has those two elements working, it's uh, just waiting for the long game to click in. And if that clicks in, I think you know we better watch out. I think he could do some uh, some serious damage in the majors this year. Yeah, we saw the problems with the long game at Augusta to the point where he hit his own father uh, just off a of fairway on the first day. And that there was he was still a little bit wayward off the tee at Quail Hollow. Like you say, he hit three fairways on the final day. It's 19 out of 56 fairways across the whole four days. So like, Bob Rotella seemed to make it almost seemed to make a virtue out of that. The fact that McElroy did, wasn't perfect off the tee, but still could, could still grind his way through the rest of the course. But like given the kind of course that he's facing down at Keogh Island this week, he surely can't replicate that kind of tee performance, can he? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it is generous enough in parts uh, off the tee. There is a little bit of room, but um, there's going to be a you know, 12, 15 mile an hour wind there. And, uh, you know, any kind of wide is going to be, uh, is going to be in serious trouble. So, um, so he's going to, you know, he's going to have to start finding some fairways and, and getting comfortable hitting, you know, the cut, which is something that, um, uh, something that Pete Cowan has been talking to him about that look this high draw is all very well but uh, you know you need something a little bit more reliable a little bit more uh, you know stock shot just to get it in play that little hold off cut shot uh, that fade uh, if you could just get that down so he seems to be looking a lot more at playing that and if he does need to hit a draw uh, or a big uh, a big draw off the tee perhaps going down to the three woods so um, you know it'll be interesting to see if he's in the last week He's managed to get enough confidence working on that with um, with Cowan in Florida to put it in play this week. But it's uh, he's going to have to hit driver certainly uh, quite a lot. But um, uh, they're going to mix up the holes quite a bit as well, distance wise. And uh, there's a fair bit of run compared to 2012 when it was uh, quite soft. So um, you may be able to hit a, a wide variety of uh, of shots off the tee and. He's certainly a lot. He's got a lot more uh, variety in his game than he did uh, nine years ago. He's a far, far more uh, rounded player. Far more uh, shots in his armory now. Mm, he's also got a different caddy that he had nine years ago. His mate Harry Diamond is on the bag now, and I think we saw a Quail Hollow. The reason he's on it, like he's not, he's not just there because he's he's his mate, is he? Yeah, no. I mean Harry Diamond. I mean we we all remember him here. Anybody who's you know into their amateur golf in Ireland will remember Harry Diamond playing for Ireland and. And winning the West of Ireland Championship quite uh, convincingly as well, and in, in Ross's point uh, a few years ago, you know he was you know a seriously talented golfer in his own right. You know, uh, you know as much as JP Fitzgerald was a was a very good was a very good player and got to an Irish close final and lost uh, and beat Darren Clark. Uh, I think on the way to to that final, you know um, Harry Diamond was was an international and won a championship. So. Uh, he he was an even more accomplished golfer, if that could be said. So uh, and and obviously Rory respects uh, respects his opinion on, on the game. And it, yes, it came into play very much so on that uh, on that final hole in Quail Hollow, where he he told him to, "Hey, look, pal, just hold on a second here. Maybe uh, take a drop and and make sure you uh, can get your third shot on the green rather than squirting something into into more trouble." So uh, he certainly earned his uh, his ten percent. Uh, <laughs> Uh, two weeks ago, that's for sure. And um, I, I, you know, I think Rory wouldn't have him there if he didn't know if he didn't know what he was doing. And it's easy to, I suppose, in social media for people to um, to 
out of frustration with maybe some of the results that he's been having over the last uh, six or seven years in the majors to, that maybe Harry could have stepped in maybe a little bit more often than uh, than he has done. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great partnership. They're, they're great pals. And uh, I think that's maybe six or seven wins they've had together now. So uh, not doing too badly. Yeah. Rory seems to be better at taking advice than he has been previously. Is that fair? Like, obviously, the example of Harry Diamond, Diamond from the rough, I suppose, could have been the headline on the 18th at Quail Hollow. He's got Pete Cowan, who I understand is no shrinking violence when it comes to getting his opinions across. He's gone to Rotella now. So is that something that's maybe changing in this next phase of McElroy's career? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Roy, it's always said, you know, Roy doesn't doesn't like being told what to do. Maybe that's more, you know, so when it comes to the media or, you know, social media criticism that he might get in, in, in that sense. But uh, I mean, he's always used, you know, uh, he's gathered people around him that he trusts uh, and he believes in that that team that he has. I mean, Pete Cowan has been working with Rory McIlroy for a long time on, on various different things. I remember with the, the Ryder Cup in Paris, going out to the practice ground and there's Pete Cowan and Rory in the bunkers with Harry Diamond actually uh, just working on a bit on his bunker play that week, which wasn't which wasn't great earlier in the week. So, you know, you'll always go to Pete. There's always on the range. There'll always be chats and, you know, can you have a look at this? Can you have a look at that? You know, especially about pitching and uh, and shots around the green. He's exceptionally uh, good on that. So, um, you know, yeah, he's um, yeah, he's getting older, isn't he? He's, uh, he's a more mature, mature guy. I mean, he's 32 now. He's been around. He's been around a long time, with fourteen years or so. Uh, you know, so uh, it's. Um, I think we're, we're just coming into his prime, really now, Rory McIlroy, which should be a bit of a worry for uh, some of the other guys. Yeah, and just lastly, and Rory, the confidence is back, isn't it? Like, I mean, there's nobody more. There's nobody whose mood is more conspicuous in golf than McIlroy. You can see it that bounce uh, off the off the tip of his toes when he leaves a when he leaves a putting green. Uh, and contrasted with the slump you see and, and that we've been seeing too often in the last couple of years. Um, Nick Faldo said something interesting, like obviously Colin Marikawa is the defending champion, but we're back at Quail Hollow for the first time for US PGA Championship since Rory won. So uh, Faldo says that McElroy will come into this feeling like he's a defending champion and the supporters are there and it's just all coming together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got that, you know, pep in his step. He's uh you know, puffing the chest out, and uh, as you say, the little that little uh, McElroy strut, you know, that little uh, bounce in in the step is is certainly there. Uh, you know, the, the mystery shots and the uh, the things that have been going wrong from over the last while. You know, he hasn't been hanging the head and and doing the what was me uh, bit. So, um, you know, I think Botel has you know has been huge for him in that regard, and if he can keep that going, I think you know, more so than you know, Pete Callan. I think if he can just keep going with the with the grind of just reminding himself of all those things that you have to do in that in that mental game. I mean Podrick Harrington's still going to see and sitting down for hours at Bob Rotella tournaments, you know, twenty years later, still going through all the same stuff and all the same reminders. If you can do that, you know, and Rotella called it being an everyday golfer, as in doing it every single day for every single round that he does, uh, I think that's going to be uh, the difficult uh, part for him, you know, but uh, certainly I'd be, um, yeah, I'd be optimistic. I don't know about this week. Who knows uh, where the long game is going to be? Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd certainly expect him to be thereabouts. Shane Larry, uh, his the next hurdle, I suppose, in his career is to win a major. 
on American soil. Uh, Brian, is this the week for for Shane Lowry? Yeah, this could be this could be a good week for Shane. You know, um, Seaside Golf Course, Pete Dye Golf Course. I mean, we were talking to him on Saturday morning. We had a, a little sort of Zoom chat, and uh, one of the boys reminded him that uh, you know. He, Two bestest, two top tens this year have come on on Pete Dye golf courses in the players and uh, in the RBC Heritage. You know, two very different courses to to Kiwa Island, perhaps. You know, and the players' championship being a lot tighter and a lot more maybe strategic, and uh, um, the RBC Heritage is Harbour Town as well, being another you know shorter uh, golf course compared to this monster that they have this week, but. Uh, you know, Shane, you know, I mean, well, we all remember Shane winning that uh, WGC in uh, in Firestone. So, I mean, he's almost won. He's almost won a major on U.S. soil uh, already and, you know, came close in a, in a couple of U.S. Opens too, perhaps, you know. So I, I don't think it's going to be that big a step up for Shane. Uh, you know, he's already won an Open. So I don't think he'd be too worried about that in terms of uh, the pressure he's been there and and he has a major under his belt. So he, he's got that going for him. I just think he... Uh, you know, he was, he was talking a little bit about the mental game as well. You know, that's the, the sort of the level these guys are at now that, you know, the physical aspect of the game is something that they uh, they all control pretty well. And once the game was in reasonable uh, condition going into a major, Shane was happy enough. He was happy to have a little bit of tension or a little bit of worry about this or that. Or, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, hitting it as well as I might or I'm almost hitting it as well as I might like, but just not quite. So just to have that little bit of competitive or nervous tension about his game he felt was a was a good thing not complacent uh coming in you know and just uh, around the greens he was um maybe not quite at his very best uh you know in the last few months you know especially you know, i think in his last outing he was he, he, he was poor enough around the greens and he just had neil uh, manship with him at the weekend and um they managed to spot something in just it just it was just a word that he said to him. They managed to just get get the strike going again on the on the pitching, which is going to be huge uh, around the greens this week. So I think Shane's, you know, uh, I think he got a got look at the golf course yesterday and was uh, kind of blown away by how tough it's going to be. I think he's expecting it to be a seriously tough test, especially off the tee. But um, I'd expect uh, Shane, you know, can move the ball both ways, not afraid of the wind, has uh, plenty of length. And uh, can really chip and put. Uh, you know, I'd expect Shane Larry to be uh, to be certainly up up and or up and around the uh, the top twenty going into that week again. Certainly. Yeah, obviously, Patrick Harrington's main priority this year is the Ryder Cup. He, he's in the field for this US PGA Championship. Ryan, what success for Harrington this week? Yeah, Patrick, I I just saw him do his uh, his his little video blog of review of the previous week's tournament, and uh, he was just sort of going. Great start last week and what a disaster in the second round. You know, he did really poor. I don't think he held a put outside four feet. His chipping was really bad. So he just said he's really worried about his chipping and his putting. And, uh, you know, which is obviously when you're pushing on towards 50 years of age, as he will be in in August, you know, that's uh, an aspect of the game that he's better than ever from team to green. I mean, he really is. He's straighter. He hit 18 greens in regulation, excuse me, last Thursday in the uh, in the AT&T bar in Nelson, which is uh, really unprecedented for uh, for Patrick Harrington, who, who uh, could shoot 65, hitting five greens, uh, you know, by just going for so many pins and, and chipping in from just off the, the, the far side over the years. That, being his, that was always his um, his philosophy. So, uh, you know, if Patrick can sort out the chipping over the next couple of days, it's not a bad course. It's a, he's won a World Cup around that golf course with Paul McGinley. So, um, you know, you'll have some good memories of that. And um, 
you know, Podrick, he might have been just uh, exaggerating a little bit maybe about how bad uh, he was around the greens. But I think, yeah, he's got other fish to fry, hasn't he, this year with the... Uh, with the uh, with the Ryder Cup coming up, but he's he's a competitor. I mean, he'll he'll want to he'll want to play well. He'll want to perform, and uh, I think if he could get off to a decent enough start, you know, somebody like that, uh, in with the chance with uh, you know eighteen holes to go, Audrey Harrington, <coughs> excuse me, he's not a guy you'd write off, is he? But uh, I think it's looking difficult at the moment. Just uh, came in after five weeks off, I think. Uh, in uh, in Texas there last week and obviously a little bit a little bit rusty so maybe maybe a bit soon for for Podrick this week but we'll wait and see how he goes in round one anyway yeah if there is a Harrington miracle I think it's time uh, we do as a nation consider honorary citizenship for uh, Dr Bob Rotella uh, I'm looking at the length of this course Brian and I'm thinking like Bryson DeChambeau is it not built for him? Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? But I just often, he's just so wild at times. You know, I know he hits that driver extremely straight, but you're just waiting for him to have a seven or an eight. He just, you know, he seems to have one every couple of weeks. And I, I just think he just can't afford to do that. And especially on uh, championship courses like uh, the Ocean Course, the Kiwa Island, where, you know, a mistake could lead to a seriously big number. So unless he's going to hit a lot of driving irons and, uh, you know, and fairway metals or whatever off the tees, I, I just, he'll be up there uh, perhaps, you know, around about, he could still have a 76 in the first round and, and turn it around with a 65 in the second. He seems to be, you know, his uh, MO these days. He's, he can never really write him off. He goes on these runs of nine holes, uh, incredible, of incredible golf. But uh, I just think, um, I just a little bit worried about him, uh, uh, maybe just getting, getting frustrated and, uh, and spraying one uh, into the, uh, into the marshland. Yeah, I'm sure he won't do what he did uh, a couple of weeks ago and head home on Friday and only realise that he'd actually made the cut when he landed back home a thousand miles away. So where, uh, who are you looking at winning this, uh, Brian? Uh, yeah, well, you know, obviously Rory is the man that we're, is the favourite. Um, I mean, he, he won going away uh, nine years ago, very different Rory McIlroy in a very sort of different golf course at the time. There's been a few changes to it since. And it's a lot firmer and uh, than it was then, so the ball's really running in, into trouble. So it's going to be uh, bringing a lot more players. I think you know we're going to going to bring in a few of them, maybe the medium hitters, you know, a few of the guys that maybe don't hit the ball a million miles. It's not going to play at seven thousand eight hundred yards every single day. It's going to be certainly it's going to always favour players who hit the ball a long way. They've always got an advantage, no matter what course it is but uh so i think it's uh, we're going to see a bit of a mixture of players as we saw you know back in 2012 as well you know when david lynn was up there and ian poulter was up there and tim clark was up there as well you know they were all they're all shorter sort of players you know so um you know i wouldn't be surprised to see you know uh one of those kind of players up there again uh, this week it's not going to be all about rory McIlroy and dustin johnson and bryson DeChambeau and uh and Tony Fino and these guys who, who hit the ball with the ball absolutely miles. Yeah, I love a hundred to one odd bet on a major. So, have you anyone in that hinterland? Uh, well, I was just looking there earlier. I mean, you could pick out a few. I mean, okay, he's not short at this stage, you know, but he is in getting on in his late forties. You know, Stuart Sink has had a couple of wins this year. He's one hundred and twenty-five to one. I see on the William Hill bedside website. So, you know, he's a guy, he's got a son in the bag. You know, he's won a major before. He was the the man, of course, who famously beat Tom Watson at Turnbury that time, you know. So, I mean, he's he's been there. He, 
he he's in fantastic form. Uh, so he he might be a a player worth looking at if you're looking for a bit of value at a long odds. Um, that would certainly one of mine. And then you know if we're looking for somebody, one of the more the, the favorites perhaps, or one of the better players. You know the Australians they love a a, a windy, hard and fast golf course. You know uh, by the sea. You know so you know somebody like a you know Mark Leishman who's you know fifty to one. He's had a win this year in the team event as well. Uh, you know, New Orleans, um, I think he's been quoted as saying as well that he, he kind of half fancies his chances around the course. He played in, in 2012 as well. You know, he likes it. It's very similar to the sort of Australian sandbelt type golf that the, those guys love to play where it's hard and fast and uh, really good ball strikers. So, you know, he's a great ball striker. He really is phenomenal. So, um, you know, he's a guy, I think, uh, who's, got a, who's got a great chance. You know, and then you got to look at, you know, the the great putters, you know, and the great short game magicians, you know, and that's why, you know, I've just got a feeling for Jordan Speed this week. You know, I just think if it doesn't lash rain and uh, soft enough, the golf course, I think he's straight enough these days, having finally won after a long period uh, without, without winning. Uh, he's showing a bit of form. Okay. He missed a, he missed a tournament or two there because of COVID over the, over the last month, which maybe disrupted his plans a little bit, but, uh, you know, he was up there, top 10, I think, uh, alongside our Seamus Power, you know, last week without doing anything spectacular. I think shot one under maybe on the final day. So, you know, speed with that putter in his hand, if he gets that going, great imagination, loves to uh, work the ball around the place. Uh, I think he's uh, he's going to be in with a chance. He's just got that extra bit of pressure with the career grand slam hanging over him, which uh, which Rory's faced for years. So maybe that'll be the the factor there that that puts the brakes on on him a little bit. But uh, I'd, I'd fancy speed to do quite well. Mm. Brian Keogh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, do stay tuned. Right. Uh, we're talking Get a Football next. I'm joined now by Fintan O'Toole and Kevin O'Brien of our GA desk to look ahead to the standout Allianz League fixture of the weekend. It's Dublin against Kerry at the home of Gaelic Football in Temple Stadium. Um, so we're going to, we will talk but the actual game in a few minutes, lads. But Finton, can I start by asking, like, how much fun is it to watch David Clifford play? It's brilliant, isn't it? You know, um, like he, you know, you think he might kind of maybe take a bit of small bit of time to get into his stride for the twenty twenty one season. But uh, three six last Saturday kind of fairly set the bar pretty high. Um, I mean, I kind of think. I just continue to be amazed by how quickly he's taken to kind of senior football because there's so many kind of guys come out of minor level, um, underage level, and they're hyped up. And for whatever reason, it just takes them kind of a bit of time. They might have injury setbacks or not get a run in the team, but he just continues to kind of go um, go from strength to strength. And I guess as well, maybe it's the way he kind of plays football. I mean, I'm trying to think like, you know, Jim McConney had a bit of that as well, like, you know, in an age where everything is kind of really tactical and there's so much strategy to it and there's kind of so much onus on you know especially I suppose if we look at the market leaders Dublin kind of getting the ball into the scoring zone and uh, it's kind of such kind of routine the way they the way they score points but he just does stuff that's just just absolutely fantastic to watch and I guess it, it also kind of maybe proved last week about what an aberration it was last November his one championship game of 2020 with kind of some of the shots he missed Um and that you know that was uh, that, that that that's definitely not going kind to of sign of what's uh, what what's to come. Um, 
I mean, like the third goal last week, like, you know, he just, he's just absolutely fantastic to watch. Like, and I think especially the interplay, like, obviously, I think we've seen over the last couple of years with Sean O'Shea, who we came up with from underage level together. But now there's another element to it, like the fact that his brother, who he's obviously played with club level, divisional leagues, Kerry, that's another person to kind of, kind of feed him. Um, and it just shows like, you know, what an absolutely amazing attacking threat Kerry have at the disposal. Mm. How good is his brother, Kev? Yeah, he is. He is pretty good. I remember actually seeing Paddy play um, for the Kerry Juniors. It was probably 2018. I think I was covering a championship match in Kildare and Kerry were playing Kildare Juniors beforehand and he just ripped it up there. He was playing centre forward. I remember at the time thinking, like, you know, obviously it's hard to kind of judge how a guy playing at junior level will will do with senior, but I remember just thinking, that this guy's unbelievable. And always sort of followed him then after that, thinking, will he get a shot with the senior team? And as Finton said there, Playing with East Kerry, obviously put him on the, you know, put him on a platform really to show his quality at the top level of, of football in Kerry. But I mean, yeah, I think like having him in that forward line now with David, he knows his runs inside out. It can only be a benefit really to have him playing there and uh, giving the balls inside to David there as well. Yeah, um, Fintan Kerry made such a hames the last year. Um, has it like maybe it's too small a sample size from that? Not only just one game, but the goalway performance wasn't exactly. Uh, up to anything really but can we has anything changed already is there any signs of any improvements to to make sure that Kerry will never again repeat uh, what happened in the depths of winter uh, last year well I suppose given my own county allegiances obviously I will hope that there's a repeat of what, uh, what happened last year but I, I think it definitely showed that like this year is, deve- is unfolding along similar lines to last year with a knockout championship and a compressed schedule so the strategy that was applied previously has to be kind of thrown out the window and you just can't take the long-term view as, you know, I know they say they didn't really, they weren't playing defensively and they tried to defend maybe the inclusion of kind of uh, recognised forwards, or recognised defenders, sorry, in their half-forward line. But clearly, I think they just took their eye off the ball. Um, I think they were looking too far down the road and I think Cork played above themselves, got, had a really smart game plan, developed it into a battle and then that's the beauty of sport. The, the underdog can kind of mug the favourite uh, on the finish line. Um Really, really small sample size, only one game so far. You'd definitely be, from Galway's point of view, given how they lost to Mayo last year, you'd be pretty concerned with that level of beating to take again. But definitely, I suppose the one thing they definitely seem to have done is kind of trust in the attack, uh, the attacking strengths that they have. Like we knew that with Clifford and Sean O'Shea, but obviously, um, you know, Paddy Clifford is kind of another strength of the bow. Paul Ganey coming back fit as well. You know, I think sometimes he's kind of the forgotten one about it. Like he was the main man in the attack in 2016-2017. He was a two-time All-Star. That's not that long ago. Um, so they do have like an array of riches up front. Uh, the one thing last Sunday or Saturday so I didn't tell us and it is going to be a thing next weekend we'll probably find out a bit more is just the nature of the defence because I think the other storyline over the winter was just the amount of retirements that they had and okay, maybe a lot of them weren't first-team regular players but Peter Crowley was and he would have been regarded as their main kind of defensive stopper the last couple of years. And I'm still not exactly sure who are going to be the kind of main guys that they rely on for that. It's like they brought on a guy, Mike Breen, for his debut last Saturday. Graham Sullivan is another emerging prospect. But I think for all the, the good work that they have going forward, I think there's still a couple of things at the back that they kind of need to figure out um, next Saturday or next Sunday and obviously over the course of the rest of the summer. Do you share those concerns, Kev, about Kerry's defence? Yeah, I mean, I think the system they played last year told us a lot, the way they set up against Cork. I think it told us that Peter Keane didn't trust the defence. 
and he was looking down the line to playing against Dublin. And I mean, he started bringing up the ugly wing forward, who really good sticky corner back, and he play wing back as well. But I think I think that said a lot about the way he set up that team. And he's obviously had he's had a long time to stew over um stew over their exit last year. And I think he would have got a lot of criticism locally over how they played. And I suppose it was refreshing to see how they set up. And I tell you, so many quality forwards that you nearly have to just pick them on and just let them play. Um, but I I think like it's kind of you can look too much into that game as well because I just thought Galway like they were so poor um, they just stood off Kerry and if you allow Kerry to, to pick out passes like that they're going to rip you apart like they did so I think you know Dublin are probably going to bring something hugely different to what Galway did and, and it'll be interesting to see like in terms of you know the quality of ball that goes inside to, to David Clifford and, and Sean O'Shea and Paddy Clifford and those guys like it'll be completely different I think this time around because as I said you, if you let Kerry play football they will absolutely play football like they did at the weekend Yeah uh, not to, I know you don't want to read too much into the go-away game Kev but uh, to read too much into the go-away game uh, did we see anything from that and from the team selection and how Kerry play to say that maybe they've uh, that Peter Keane has switched the emphasis a little bit back to you know suiting their strengths suiting their attacking strengths uh, by effectively playing more attackers Yeah big time Um he played Sean O'Shea a little bit close to the goal, which is interesting. And Paddy, Paddy Clifford played um, around centre forward. And it even, like Clinton mentioned, Paul Gini there, who, who traditionally would have been an inside attacker, and that's where he won his all stars. But he's been playing on the half forward line as well. And he obviously, you know, he, Peter Keane trusts him to get up and down the pitch as well. And you have Darren Moynihan on the other wing. Um, they're two good kick passers. And I think the big thing for Kerry you would have seen is they were given early ball inside um, into, the, into the inside forwards. And even when Tommy Walsh came on then, he brought a different element to it. I think they've probably been working on the advanced mark um, over the last few weeks. And you could see when when he came on, he definitely, he was about five or six inches, I'd say, taller than the guy he was marking. And you could see Kerry, when they got the ball to, to the 10 and 12 positions, they were trying to put in this diagonal ball into Walsh, which worked pretty successfully, I think. So um, I think for Kerry, yeah, it's just getting the ball out quick and, and getting it into the danger man because... I mean, even compared to Dublin, like you'd nearly back the carry front six to be as good, arguably better than Dublin. Mm. Uh, Desi Farrell won't be on the sideline in Sample Stadium, Finton, uh, because of uh, the illicit training session we all know so much about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mick Galvin is there instead. Has, did that have any impact uh, in the opening weekend against Roscommon? And, and do you think it will have an impact as the league goes on? I, I don't really, to be honest. And I think mainly because he's not a new manager, because he has a season under his belt. And I also think because he has such a kind of a big knowledge of these players from working with them at underage level and that they know him. Um, and obviously, I think Mick Galvin touched on it. I think he said, I'm on the phone to Desi four or five times a day, but I have been for kind of most of my life. You know, I think they're obviously clubmates in the Fena. So you can still kind of sense his influence. Like, But I just think it would be a concern if it was his first year and you see that around the country with other managers that started last year for the first time because of the pandemic, didn't get access to their players. I mean, Jack O'Connor is touching this in Kildare, uh, Mike Quirk and Leash. I think that must be very, very difficult for them, just getting to know the guys. But like Desi has such a knowledge of these, you know, from the, the initial crew, the, the Brian Fenton group of the, that won the All-Ireland under 3 one in 2014 to uh, Conor Callaghan's uh, vintage that won it in 2017. And then obviously last year, okay, he didn't have them as long as he wanted, but, you know, he had a few months with the like the older guys, the likes of James McCarthy and uh, you know Philly McMahon and, and all these. So I just 
I, I don't. I think more than any side in the country, um, you think of the other managers that have been kind of affected by this, like you know Monaghan with with Banty McEnany and that. You know, I don't really think it's a it's an issue for Dublin at the moment. Um, you know, they've obviously lost a couple of guys over the winter as well to retirements. Uh, maybe Michael Darmacoli is maybe the one interesting one in the sense that he robs them of a kind of a midfield option. It's maybe an interesting one as regards who's going to be the regular there. Um, alongside Brian Fenton but you know like Kevin was at the game last Sunday he would have seen a couple of new guys that they're kind of trying in so I think it's a pretty pretty seamless sideline transition to be honest and I, and I kind of expected to say it that way for the, for the rest of the league Yeah a lot of us uh, kind of spent uh, spend the winters and what is now May of the league looking for a few chinks in Dublin's armour obviously you were at the game against Roscommon there weren't many on display really were there? Not really I think the interesting thing looking at that Dublin team um, as Fenton mentioned the midfield partner for Brian Fenton is probably the big thing that, that Dublin will try and get out of this league if they're looking for anything in particular. Um, I think like Jack McCaffrey obviously left ahead of last season, but because of his absence, um, I think James McCarthy will play on the half-back line, whereas if they had Jack in there, I think the ideal pairing is McCarthy and Fenton there midfield. But because McCarthy now will more than likely play on the half-back line, um, Desi's probably looking at potential partners for him and Tom Lehiff was the interesting choice of the weekend. Um, he's from St. Jude's. He's big, tall, rangy. He caught a few kickouts and kicked the point and he, he did look decent. So he's probably in pole position to um, to nail down that spot beside Fenton at the moment. But just just going back to um, Mick Galvin and, and his role now replacing Desi for, for the league. Um, I mean, it's almost a cliche, but it's such a player-driven group now at this stage. Like It's the big names like Fenton, Kilkenny, um, McCarthy, Cooper, Small, these guys who are driving it on. So I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact um, not having Desi around. Like I'm sure he's in constant contact with the players. And because Dublin's style of play like is so well refined at this stage, they don't really need to change too much. I think a couple of tweaks here and there. But I think with Dublin, they just want to keep on rolling and more of the same as they go forward. Yeah, um, I did read uh, ahead of the league, I think it was Michael Foley in the Sunday Times described this league as the leagueiest league that ever did league uh, just because uh, we're, well, we're having meant to have inter-county training until a couple of weeks before it started and then it's right into a championship. But I get the feeling, Fenton, that this is a much bigger game for Kerry than it is for Dublin. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think it's interesting to compare Kerry's relationship with Dublin the league to Mayo's. Mayo never actually managed to land a blow against Dublin in the league throughout all those times when they were taking them to the absolute, you know, the end of the game, 70, 75th minute in the championship. And I often wondered, was that a small little factor as much as you could maybe attribute uh, to them not managing to kind of get the job done during the summer? Um, anyway, except that Mayo had all sorts of peculiar conditions with kind of player access and all that kind of thing. And it was, they were always kind of maybe slow starters, uh, during the during the kind of spring months, but like Kerry have quite a good record against Dublin in the league the last couple of years. I mean, you know, they beat them in the 2017 final. Um, then obviously, you know, they would have beaten them at Ossesdack Park. They have the draw last year then in Crow Park. So I think that the only thing that probably they would be looking to avoid is like something like happened in 2018, was the one year they took a big beating off them in the spring. And that was the year uh, things actually kind of unraveled for them then in the Super 8s. So I don't think a win is absolutely essential I think a good competitive showing um, find out a bit more about a couple of players you know I kind of think that will suffice for them but um, in terms of the like the rustiness of teams and all that I, I, I do accept that but I think simply because of the time I don't know can teams really kind of wait around as much this year to kind of 
find out or find form or kind of kind of get things going. Um, like it was interesting. I was thinking last week and. Uh, of the top teams Kerry Mayo and Donegal were all playing their first game of the year six weeks before they play their first game of championship which is in, in knockout now they're all favoured to win those games like Kerry are going to be against Clare in Killarney on I think Saturday June 26th and like, it's a big game they're expected to win but if last year taught them more than anyone anything is that if you're just a small little bit off in these weird in this throwback championship because it's knockout then the season can uh, can obviously can come crashing down so I think that they probably there was, I wonder was there a hint of that last Saturday and that they recognise that you know we don't have any time to wait around here lads we've got to hit the ground running um, so and, and obviously you could see that with the enthusiasm levels of the players and the kind of hunger so I would be expecting to see a good bit more of that um, again on Saturday or on Sunday sorry in uh, in Thurs Yeah what do you think Kev are you, are you in agreement with Minton that while Kerry don't necessarily need to win this game they can't afford to get you know better to get either um, no, I actually think Kerry do really need to win this game. I think it's a huge game for them. Um, like Dublin, realistically, they don't need to hit top form until mid-August when they play the All-Ireland semi-final. But I think Kerry, for this group of players, it's important for them to get one over on Dublin. Like If you think back to the 2020 league game, um, it was in January. Dublin had literally, they were back from a team holiday. Like I think it was like 10 days beforehand or something like that. I think Desi Farrell had a handful of training sessions with his players, like maybe three or four at the most. And... Um, Kerry should have won that game Dublin came back I think near the end and then Clifford kicked the equaliser um, with that brilliant last last minute free but I think that was a big opportunity for Kerry um, and you know the way the, the season turned out we kind of expected them to get another pop at Dublin and they didn't um, so this will be an interesting one like there has been a bit of spice for these games over the last few years like the image that jumps out from last year is Clifford coming off with his jersey torn at the end of the game um, there was a bit of a melee there and then even the, the game Fintan mentioned in 2019 in Austin Park, like there was, there was, um, there was a few brawls there. I think was that the game where Jim Gavin, when he was leaving the pitch, he just sort of circled around the fight and didn't actually look yeah, at there, it even there, at there, all. There, there was a fight, and you could just see the TV cameras. Yeah. Gavin just walking across, like as if a, a bystander just observing it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that was classic Jim Gavin, but um, like there has been a bit of spice between these teams, and like you're talking about Mayo there, and obviously when they played Dublin Championship, you could really see there was. Won't say a hatred, but you know there was definitely a big intensity there, and guys just really didn't like each other. I think on the field, so I think for Kerry, like they, they do need to lay down a marker. They need to bring the physicality, and because the whole country has been talking them up, talking David Clifford up over the last week, like Dublin will be well aware what they're going to bring, and it's a big opportunity I think for both teams to like to show what they're going to bring this season. Kev, do you think there's a little bit of added pressure on Kerry just because? The whole country wants a proper challenger to Dublin, and we have always seen Kerry as the main, as the main team position to do that. And obviously, the 2019 All Ireland final was proof that they can be that challenger. Like, do you think that that brings an added bit of pressure to Kerry outside of obviously? There's always an expectation within the county, but externally too. I don't know if it adds pressure because if you look at Mayo, like Mayo were nearly everyone's second favorite team over the last years, and every time they got to the final in the last decade the whole country wanted Mayo to win just because of Dublin's success. I think the pressure on Kerry is the fact that Peter Keane now is in year three. He changed things up last year. It didn't work out at all. Um, he's in year three of a three-year term, so there's been no there's been no talk yet, you know, whether he will stay on or not. But I think for him, he's got to look at this. As this is his last, this could potentially be his last chance, you know, his last season as Kerry manager. Um, and for a lot of players as well, you know, it's time really now that they, they step up. Like Clifford is probably the best best footballer in the country and he has no All-Ireland medals yet so I think for the likes of him and Sean O'Shea 
Um, they want to step up and start winning medals at, at the top level. And they're probably sick of looking at Dublin dominating the landscape over the last six or seven years. So I think internally the pressure more so. And then down in Kerry, like the huge pressure on Peter Keane as a manager as well to, to produce the goods. Mm. Fintan Coles. Um, I'm probably kind of sitting on defence a bit in the sense that I, I actually think a draw could be a, could be a good prediction for this one. So you're, you're sitting squarely and entirely on defence. Yeah, but I think there's a bit more logic to it than as opposed to refusing to, to give, you, right. uh, give you a shout. Just looking at the the results the last couple of years in the league, I mean, you, the 2018 game I referenced earlier, um, like Dublin uh, won that by 12 points, but that's kind of... Um, deviated from the pattern you know there's been a couple of draws there's been two one point wins uh, as regards the league encounters they obviously drew in the 2019 All-Ireland final uh, I think you can get the draw at 15-2 to two with William Hill so uh, that would be probably the the one that that, uh, that I would go for but I, I'm really looking forward to it as a game because I think because it's so close to the championship matches like go, go back to what you were kind of referring to there but Kerry being Dublin's main challenger last couple of years we, we've had these classic early season encounters but then everyone's bemoaning the fact that God we're not going to see a good game of football again at Dublin Challenge for another seven or eight months the beauty of this is that it's the 23rd of May they're playing uh, they can't actually meet each other and say the championship is the all final but that's only three months away so this may give us a bit more clues Um in terms of this rivalry, then, and we can maybe read a little bit more into it uh, than we perhaps could into the league games of earlier years. Kev, which side of the fence are you falling? Or are you sitting on it with Vince? I'm going to jump off the fence. I think I'm going to go with a carry, a narrow carry victory. And to be honest, I've often been left egg on my face predicting that Dublin will lose. But I just think there's a few different factors. Um, like Dublin, the last day against Roscommon, they, they, they had to use the third choice keeper Michael Shield and because um, Evan Comfort picked up an injury during the week so we're not sure if he'll make that but I think that um, if you saw the Kerry game last week like they really targeted the goal they kicked out they pressed right up and I think if Shield does play in goals and even Comfort because he's he's young and relatively inexperienced I think Kerry will really target the kickouts there and press right up on that and, and try and turn him over that way um, so I'm going to go with a narrow Kerry, Kerry victory but you know, Dublin will probably come out and win the game, but no, I think I think Kerry will, will do it. Um, but it's going to be like it's going to be really tight, and it probably will come down to the last few minutes again. Yeah, judging by his comments after the Galway game, Peter Keane will be devastated, uh, Kev, to hear that uh, to the prediction that Kerry might actually win. Uh, Kev Finton, thanks a lot. Uh, that's it for this month's episode of the Punt. We've been here in partnership with William Hill, so please do gamble responsibly. And for more information, you can visit gamblingtherapy. Org. Thanks very much for watching. Enjoy the glut of sport on this weekend and we'll be back here on The Punch next month. But until then, take it easy.